Nicholas Bornels of Capital Link, I would like to welcome you all to the second day of our Norway Maritime Forum. The first day was packed with terrific content, great attendance, great speakers, and now we're starting our second day that promises to be equally interesting uh, and well attended. Uh, I would like again to thank you all for joining us. I will turn the floor over to the conference chairman, to uh, Mr. Knut Orbach Nielsen, who is the CEO of DNV Maritime. I'd like to thank him again for the partnership uh, putting this great event together. I'd like to thank the panelists for uh, being with us today. And without any more delay, I will turn it over to Knut. And again, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Nicholas, for that kind introduction. And uh, it's also a great uh, pleasure for me, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome you all to today's first panel event uh, here at Capital Link. Uh, my name is uh, Knut Obek Nielsen. I'm the CEO of DNV Maritime, and I will be your moderator for this panel uh, on green shipping, decarbonization, and technology. Now, we have a very impressive lineup of experts on the panel, and they will share their insights into the commercial and strategic ramifications of decarbonization for shipping companies and investors. And we will cover some of the most pressing issues that are shaping the debate and the decision-making around the practicalities of decarbonization and greener shipping. Now, before we get started, however, let me introduce you to our panelists. So we have with us Mr. Anders Unarheim. He's the CEO of BWLPG. Welcome, Anders. We have also with us Ms. Martelamp Sandvik, the Vice President of DNB Ocean Industries. Hello, Marta. And also we have uh, Mr. Lasse Christofferson, the CEO of Torval Klavenes. And Lasse was also the president of the Norwegian Ship Owners Association in the period 2018 to 2020. And uh, we have with us Harald Solberg, who is the CEO of the Norwegian Ship Owners Association. Hello to Lasse and Harald. And then uh, last but certainly not least, there's Mr. Eric Nuckleby, the Executive Vice President and the COO of Shipping Services at Valenius Wilhelmsen. So good afternoon to all of you. Now, let me just uh, introduce very quickly to this uh, panel. So we can say that the tectonic shifts from new regulations, decarbonization ambitions, and new technologies are leading the transformation sweeping across the global shipping industry. And its pace continues to accelerate because of environmental consciousness, societal and market pressures, and the ongoing pandemic. The Norwegian shipping community is known as a driving force in green shipping and for being pioneers of new developments in this field. And um, ship owners are, however, called to make strategic decisions at a time when many of the deciding factors are still very uncertain, be it the regulatory changes, the type of propulsion systems, or the pricing and availability of new fuel types. 
Our panel today will debate the burning questions surrounding these issues and lend their insights into how the panelists are positioning their companies and organizations to succeed in this rapidly evolving market. So that was sort of framing the discussion for this afternoon. And uh, let me get straight on to the first question. And if I could start that with you, uh, Anders. So in, in what way are the ESG principles changing the business culture of shipping? And have they had an influence on your own strategic decision-making, please? Thank you, Knut. <clears throat> You and I are both old enough to remember rock and roll and how that came about. And I, let's put it this way. Uh, ESG is just like rock and roll. It's here to stay. No question. At PWLPG, uh, you know, one of our, our core vision is and has been for a long time towards a better world. And, and we, you know, we stand by that. Uh, but yes, ESG is definitely changing how the business uh, behaves, how shipping, shipping culture has to change. In order to attract the investor interest and also to meet you know all the all the all the demands from regulators we just have to adapt investors demand it and the IMO and others will 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 uh, force us to do it in the past shipping companies could you know wait and see regulations would come but they were far out there in the future and there will all be extensions and so forth it we've seen from Iowa 2020 there's hard stops we're seeing another hard stop coming, EEXI, in the 2023. So, so yes, we have to we have to adapt. We have to change how we've been thinking. Most focus so far has obviously been on the E and the ESG, and here, of course, I think the key lies in transition towards a cleaner fuel. We cannot make you know that leap without having a transition. We cannot go directly from hydrocarbons, you know, to to renewables or, or net zero, if you wish. And in that, in, the, in that context, I believe that gas is a very important intermediate or destination fuel, if you wish. So again, we believe strongly that, uh, and, and I'm, uh, of course, uh, a pre, you know, the, the proponent of LPG. We think LPG is a very important, very important product for years to come and has many good aspects that is good for the world. Of course, the S in ESG is also important. And for shipping, we've had now over this past you know, year, year and a half, plenty of opportunities to show they really care about the S. We've had you know, seafarers that have been under tremendous pressure. That we've had you know, problems with, with uh, crew changes. They've been stuck on the ship for a long time. Uh, family concerns, wondering what's happening back home. Uh, infections uh, in the ports. So again, we really have you know, been able to show that we also do care and we have to care about you know, our assets at sea. And this is to me, we, we at BWLPG, we, we spent you know, quite a bit of extra resources to look after, look after our seafarers. And I'm sure that other companies have done the same thing. And finally, of course, in governance, as the last, last part, uh, there's no question that shipping in the past has had somewhat a reputation you know, with uh, transparency issues, uh, some corruption allegations, related party conflict of interest, you know, many, many people's talking about the Norwegian word of Sugerud in the, in the, um, in the uh, business. Of course, that's all changing. There's much more, much more scrutiny and much, much more transparency, which I think is very good. Now, ESG has definitely influenced our strategy at BWLPG. We started investing in R&D 
and for future proofing our fleet many years ago. Uh, we've been the first mover when it comes to looking into dual fuel LPG engines. We spent uh, you know, several years developing this together with our partners, MAN and Varcello. And today we have five ships, the first five ships on water with LPG dual fuel uh, propulsion. And we are, we, we're committed to a total of 15 of these ships. And again, to me, this is, this is living you know, ESG uh, in real life. We can put lots of nice, nice glossy pages in our annual report and talk about it, but in the end, we have to, we have to do something. And this is real action. We also made the decision to retrofit rather than to build new. We think reuse is a great, it's a great concept also here. And for our 15 ships that we are retrofitting, the, 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 the CO2 saved instead of building new is over a million tons of CO2. And we think that's material. We think, as I said earlier, this is an intermediate step. We think, still think we need to go further. And we are still spending a lot of resources, time and money to look for that next generation, both of fuels and ship designs. In the end, you know, we will clearly have to see that shipping, like most other industries, will have to get our carbon footprint down. But I repeat, we have to make it, you know, step by step. So again, we think we're on our way, but again, we have far to go. Thank you, Anders. That's uh, great insights. And, and you touch on, on many aspects that we will come back to during uh, the discussion here this afternoon. Uh, and uh, you also said ESG is here to stay, which I think is also a very interesting viewpoint, uh, not least a comparison to rock and roll. What's your view, um, uh, Lasse, if I could come to you now? You don't look like a hard rocker, but maybe you, you share some of the views that Anders uh, gave, please. Yeah, definitely. I, I care about the rock and roll as much as shipping. So that's uh, that's a good parallel. But uh, now I, I think, I mean, the, the ESG is just a natural new uh, formalization for our industry. We have become much more both uh, socially and, and governance uh, savvy, I would say. But but I think the big issue on, on the E now these days, of course, that's decarbonization. And that's really the centerpiece of our strategy and has been so since 2015. Um, and uh, back then we, we defined there are two main value drivers in our industry where you can create new value for, for, for the industry and the customers. And that's through digitization and decarbonization. Um, and those are really the areas where we believe you can make winners or losers. And, and based following that, we have worked uh, quite focused on developing our combination carrier business, Cloudness Combination Carriers, which was listed uh, two years back and, um, and we are very proud that we actually have the, uh, the uh, most carbon efficient deep sea transportation you can find. We are both a tanker and a bulker and we are carrying cargo more than 90% of the time. So comparing to a standard tanker or bulker going to Australia, we have 30-40% less emissions. So obviously this has been uh, a centerpiece of, of our strategy. Up until now it's been nice uh, I would say now going over the next 10 years, it's need. Uh, and, uh, and now for the first time we are in dialogue with customers who are willing to pay extra for, uh, for decarbonization, meaning that they're willing to pay up on the freight if we're able to deliver on a, uh, on a uh, more carbon efficient transport than what we have done uh, before. So I think um, ESG in general is coming, but to me, 
the big theme of the year, of the day, of the decade as decarbonization, and now it's finally happening. Thank you, Lasse. That's um, very interesting views. And um, uh, if I could turn to you, uh, uh, Matthias, so have you heard from two leading uh, shipping companies how they are progressing on this? And but you are now in the in the banker uh, business, so maybe you could share with us your views, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Knut. Well, for DMB, um, ESG is business as normal and to a large degree, and it's, it's been that for a while. And of course, it, it's an integrated part of everything that we do in the bank, and it's it affects capital allocation and how we prioritize clients and, and our business strategies. And it's an integrated part of of the, the, the credit um, metrics as well, but it's one part of a, of a whole um, evaluation that we do, of course. Um, but it also impacts policies and initiatives that we take part in. And for several years now, um, DNB has been working with the um, responsible ship recycling standards, where we aim to get a, uh, the green recycling clauses into 100% of our new loan agreements. Um, we're part of the, uh, and a founding partner of the Poseidon principles. and like I said, it is business as normal. It will continue to uh, to be a very natural part of how we do business. And I can only echo the um, the points that Anders was making as well. There is so many different metrics to look at uh, on both the E and the S and the G um, that we are also um, committed to paying attention to. Great, thank you very much, um, Marta. Uh, now, um, all of you sort of zoomed in on the, on all the aspects of the ESG, but if we sort of try to focus a little bit on decarbonization in, in, um, put that in focus, how can, and if I can turn to you, Harald, for this one, uh, how can regulators and um, legislators better incentivize shipping companies to accelerate their decarbonization efforts. I'm sure that you have some views on this, please. Yes, I, I, uh, that's a very important question. And uh, as a truly global industry, we need international regulations. And I think it is very important that IMO uh, step up and speed up the process towards uh, climate neutral shipping. If not, we will probably have several regional regulations for international shipping in the next decade. And we should do what we can do, uh, both as regulators, but also as industry, to avoid a complex patchwork of regional regulations. And I think IMO should be more ambitious, bolder, and consistent on new, new regulations for climate neutral shipping. Uh, and on the content uh, in these regulations, uh, I have only one important wish, that is keep it simple. There is a tendency to develop complex segment specific uh, mechanisms, uh, but I don't think complex regulations will bring us forward fast enough. I think it would be more wise to use the market and bridge the price gap between regular fuel and alternative zero emission fuels. So put the price on carbon, use the money collected from a market-based mechanism to incentivize and finance the green transition. That would be effective, simple, easy to understand for all operators. And as an industry, we, I think also we have to step up and increase our own ambitions. And last year, Norwegian Shipping Association launched four ambitious climate goals. Our ambitions are to be climate neutral by 2050 in all segments, only order ships based on zero emission technology from 2030, 
and cut the climate emissions by 50% per unit transported by 2030. And we can already now introduce an international ban on non-climate neutral uh, fuels from 2050 onwards. And that could be introduced now to speed up the process to develop uh, zero emission alternatives. We have high ambitions also in segments that uh, currently do not have commercially available zero emission solutions. This means that the entire industry in collaboration with the, the authorities, both nationally and internationally, must get involved in developing new solutions. And we need to scale up and commercialize climate neutral alternatives this decade. And we have only nine years left, so we have a hurry. Thank you very much, Harald. You, you put uh, certainly a lot of dynamite into the discussion now. And um, just to summarize a bit, uh, IMO should speed up. Uh, the regulation should be made easy and there is no time to waste. And um, I'm just interested if I could turn to you, uh, Eric, to hear uh, sort of uh, the views from um, you who are deeply involved in the shipping operations, please. Yeah, so I think it's good dynamite, first and foremost. Um, and we don't really disagree from the operation side, you know, those statements from Harald. Uh, we need regulations and governmental drive uh, across national borders. Uh, we can't uh, work in silos here and we need the regulations and that drive to ensure that we have a collaborative approach uh, to R&D amongst shipping companies and food providers together. None of us is going to solve this, uh, this uh, challenge alone. Um, and we need then continued support, monetary, legislative, as Harald mentioned, uh, for that type of R&D efforts and also, I think, faster time to market reviews and also approvals uh, because we need to continue to try and test uh, test what we what we uh, in, uh, innovate um Harald, you mentioned the market-based initiative uh, driven and supervised by imo i think that is a very good initiative uh, it's the only way to i think adjust undesired behavior is to put a price on it uh, and i would also like to mention the other key initiative now uh, supported by World Shipping Council and also IMO supervised, and that's the International Maritime Research and Development Board. Um, uh, the initiative is then established to identify and develop and also demonstrate uh, the fuels and technologies uh, of the future. Uh, so I think these efforts are very important. I see that IMO needs to go stronger. I agree to that, but I also think that shipping companies themselves have to take part of that right because IMO has so much complexity, I think, to work with politically a lot of different member countries. So I think if we as ship owners as well go in front to drive some of the development and not just wait for IMO to drive it for us, I think that's going to be too very critical. Uh, and finally, just to mention, I think we also need governmental bodies to define and drive and also regulate a proper discussion based on the full well-to-wake emissions and not just look to regulate and measure tailpipe emissions. I think that's another very, very important part of, uh, of what we need to do in the next decade. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, I see that it's a very ambitious uh, group of, of panelists here today. And I saw that you were nodding uh, on this on, on several of the points already being made. Uh, and maybe you would like to share your views uh, with us quickly, please. Yeah, well, I, I certainly agree. First of all, I think it's important, you know, as, as an industry, it's important to be proactive. You, you don't want to wait for everybody else to tell you what to do. 
I think that's important. I think also we we all should we should all support the fact that IMO that uh, you know it is it is complex, but we we should push them and and to make uh, as I said earlier also to to help them to make hard stops. That's the only way we can change. And as part of the BW Group, we support the global implementation of carbon tax. It, you know, puts a price on the environmental cost of uh, fossil fuels. And you know, and you need financial incentives. That's that's just how it is. You know, when you when you run a business, of course, with shipping generating what 800, uh, 800 million tons of CO two annually, yeah, that tax could you know could raise uh, we've estimated between eight and seventy billion dollars. And of course, that could be put to, put to use you know on technology research and support for developing nations and everything else. So so I think again, this is this is uh, this is very important. We support it very much. Thank you, Anders. So uh, put a tax on uh, carbon. Uh, let, let's keep that in the back of our heads while we sort of uh, explore a bit more the, um, the financing part of uh, green. Can, you, can, I, can I just jump in with a very quick comment to the, the, the post item? Uh, we agree with everything that's that's been said here. And uh, in addition to being easy and um, you know simple to understand, I think it's also very important that the, the cost is predictable, and that's a, that's important for the companies. It's important for the bankers. It's important for the investors. So, so just to echo that, um, to make sure that it's easier to forecast the and to understand what's going on. Thank you, Marta, for making that comment. Um, so uh, let's uh, stay with the financing a uh, little bit. So uh, uh, let me turn to you, uh, Marta, since you are also representing the finance uh, business here. Has the implementation of the Poseidon principles changed the, the game for, for ship finance? And, and what is your perspective on green ship finance in practice and the first year of implementing the Poseidon principles, please? Well, I don't think it's changed the game so much. I think it's ship finance is uh, very much still recognizable, so to speak. But what the Poseidon principles ha have done for us in DNB, first of all, it's given us the ability to, to measure our footprint and the footprint of our portfolio, uh, which gives us the ability to track our performance over time. And, and that's valuable. It's also given us a very interesting data set. Um, and, and allowed us to analyze and look at our portfolio and our clients and, and vessels emissions in carbon intensity from a different perspective and testing hypothesis and and, and that's that's also very very valuable and now after the first year reporting there are still some some kinks in the method and and things to work out and dnb is uh, heading up the um, the technical committee there and that's still work to be um, to be assessed so, but overall, it's it's an incredibly valuable tool, and it's a very, very, very interesting view for us to have on our portfolio. And in addition, it's it's a quantitative metric, and it can be used as a KPI in sustainability-linked financing. And we've seen a number of financing over the past year enabling that. Um, and that's very interesting as well because when you have quantitative KPIs, that adds accountability, and it makes the products easier to to track performance-wise. So, so that's very important. And if we talk about green financing, uh, deep sea shipping in its current state isn't going to be able to, to be sort of green financing for, for a long while to come still. So we need to have transition financing and sustainability linked financing that can be more inclusive in that and can bring a larger part of the industry in that direction. I think that's very important. Then we come back to how, how good it is to have these quantitative KPIs and tools that we can employ. Um, so that's that's something that we find very, very, very important to also have strong frameworks that 
and we see a lot of different frameworks coming out on the green side, and which is really, really good. And, and we need to keep developing them to also be transition focused so that we can have a, have a strong transition in the industry as a whole. Thank you, Marta, for sharing your insights. So transparency, uh, measurements, KPIs, uh, important uh, ingredients of the Poseidon principles. And uh, Anders, you also have a background from the finance uh, industry from before, but maybe addressing this from the ship owner's perspective, what's your view on this, please? I don't think we've seen, I think it's been very limited uh, impact so far on the Poseidon principles. I think the only thing we've seen is there's some requirements, added requirements to provide, provide some more fuel consumption data and so forth to lenders. But uh, so far, not a big impact. Um, you know, I, I question, I, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure yet that, you know, shipping, we, we, and there are, you know, some, some notable exceptions, but I think shipping still, we're still viewed as something that's uh, not really green. You know, we, we, many of us transport uh, fossil fuels and, and so, so, so we have a challenge still. And so I don't really see any green ship financing for DC shipping as of now. But of course, there are sustainability linked loans and, and also, you know, transition loans to help shipping companies finance investments. And, and uh, you know to, to improve our emissions, so which is important. I mean, we we made you know as I said, we made uh, made a huge investment into the LPG uh, propulsion engines. We're investing 130 million dollars in capex to retrofit 15 ships. Uh, first five ships, uh, there were no green financing available at all, and uh, at least not that was competitive. Uh, the next six, we're going to use transition loans, and then for the remaining four, we're uh, we're looking to see if uh, we can use both transition and sustainability linked financing. So, but again, so far, impact has not been great, but, uh, but we still think it's important, uh, you know, and, uh, and we see that the lenders in increasingly are, are, uh, are, are focusing on, on our profile. So, so uh, it, it will happen, but so far, limited impact. Thank you, Anders, for sharing that. And uh, I saw that you, you've been nodding uh, and then you looked very serious, Lasse, so maybe, <laughs> maybe we could hear it from you, please. And just try to appear serious. That's uh, it's an image, and uh, I, I mean, I totally agree with Anders. We have not really seen any significant impacts from the Poseidon principles yet, and maybe that's because both LPBV and ourselves are pretty much uh, on the right track. But I also think there's something with the ambition level with Poseidon principles. Uh, when they came, uh, I think it was a very major step, a very important step. Uh, but the but I, I think what has happened over the last six twelve months on the decarbonization uh, scene is just you know unbelievable. If you see and and I think this whole thing started around the Greta Thunberg and the youth uh, uproar and and um, just within this year, companies that we talk to have changed their strategies and and I think you need to look into that in the Poseidon principles as well. Yeah, if I read them right, they have a target of, of banks should meet the IMO curve on, on uh, carbon efficiency. And that's not going to be enough at all. I mean, this industry needs to head towards zero emission in 2050. So does the banks. And in my view, you need to show leadership in the Poseidon principles and, and make sure that they point to zero uh, in latest in 2050. Then you will make a really. 
Thank you very much, Lasse. Again, ambition level is high, and um, for certain principles, uh, maybe there's still some, some way to go. Um, let's see. Um, now, uh, I would like to turn a little bit uh, towards uh, Norway. And, um, and after all, this is the Norway Maritime Forum in Capital Link. So, um, Norway is known globally, I think you all agree, as a powerhouse for green shipping initiatives, especially maybe on the on the short sea shipping, um, batteries, energy as fuel, etc. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, for both uh, financing and scaling up the innovation that takes place here to the global stage and deep sea shipping? And I mean, we have touched on R&D in this discussion earlier. So uh, Lasse, if you could have the first uh, shot at that question, please. Sure, I can try. Um, and obviously, this is this is not an easy one to to conclude on. But I, I mean, let me start like this. I, I think the Norwegian government has been pretty good in in creating an uh, ambitious uh, Norwegian championship, with uh, starting with the uh, with the uh, battery ferries, then trying out some hydrogen ferries and other stuff. The problem is that the 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 technologies that work on a national level doesn't scale on the global level. And if you really want to address the decarbonization market, to put it like that, 80% of the emissions are on deep sea vessels. And uh, they will not be able to carry any batteries. So, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of investments into battery production. And, and just to give you an idea of the scalability of that, we have new vessels, the Clean Boost, last just delivered yesterday, uh, 80,000 tons ish carrying capacity. If we replace the fuel tank with Tesla batteries, they will weigh. They will have a weight of ninety thousand tons. So that's one element to it. The price of those batteries will be eight hundred and fifty million U.S. dollars. The vessel costs about fifty, to give give or take. So the technology that has really delivered results on the national scale will not scale on the global scale. Uh, and, and LNG is a separate issue. Uh, I'm on that side of the table that think that LNG is just a unnecessary sidestep. It doesn't take us to zero emission at all. Uh, and what will is hydrogen. So, uh, and that's very interesting also in Norway, we see that on the hydrogen projection side, there's quite significant efforts going on. You have companies like Nell and Hydro and Yara and Equinor and you name it, now coming up with, with hydrogen production facilities and eventually ammonia facilities. And, and if you ask me, the technology that will scale on a uh, uh, deep sea basis, that is ammonia. So uh, if you're really looking for uh, technologies that are addressing the big, big market, they will be certainly based on hydrogen and likely uh, focused on ammonia. And, and we now see that the engines are coming out within a few years on uh, that could burn ammonia and certainly hydrogen. So um, the good news, I think, for our industry is that now finally we can say that we know the technologies, we know what's going to likely be the fuel. Now it's just a question of, of, of scaling them. But, but quite a few Norwegian companies are, I would say, uh, well positioned to do so. And I think also your own company, Knut, uh, DNV, I mean, there's a whole new issue surrounding the new fuels and technologies. And we move from 
uh, emissions to safety concerns, for instance, when you move to ammonia. So there are a lot of issues to be, uh, to be uh, looked at. But in general, um, Norway and I have players along all these different elements of that value chain. So I think uh, look to Norway still works when it comes to shipping. Great, thank you, uh, Lars. And um, uh, you know, trying to to dig a little bit deeper into this issue of scaling up from the say the uh, national or the short sea initiatives in Norway to to the world um, uh, scale and deep sea shipping. Harald, maybe we could hear your views uh, on this as well, please. Yes, I think that's a very uh, important uh, and tricky question. Uh, we see uh, a lot of interesting projects uh, who focus on, on alternative fuels and alternative energy carriers uh, within the Norwegian maritime cluster uh, for now. And I think it uh, is uh, it's a good idea to use the Norwegian coastline as a laboratory to learn uh, from different technologies in small scale and apply the best and more efficient solutions on board uh, larger ships. Uh, and when it comes to the uh, regulations and the, the drivers for this uh, development, I, I would uh, focus on two important drivers uh, which has been established from the Norwegian parliament and the Norwegian government. The first one is the NOx levy, uh, where the money collected are sourced back to the industry to cover extra cost of investing in new, more costly and mature NOx reducing technology. Uh, this has been a very important driver uh, for investing in new technology and uh, this NOx uh, fund system or NOx fund mechanism uh, could serve as a good parallel for uh, a workable uh, mechanism for CO2. Uh, this is very uh, useful and it's very effective uh, and it uh, covers the risk of investing in new and mature technology. And the second driver which has been important uh, uh, in the Norwegian maritime sector is uh, uh, has been the Norwegian uh, Parliament's willingness to use uh, their buying power uh, through zero emission requirements in public tenders for Norwegian ferries. Uh, this zero emission requirement has been the main driver for the development of battery ferries uh, along the Norwegian coastline. Uh, today, there is no technology hindered to decarbonize, decarbonize the whole uh, Norwegian ferry sector. Uh, I am aware that batteries are not uh, a solution for uh, deep sea shipping, but uh, I think that when uh, the cargo owner use their buying power, putting, uh, uh, putting requirements to the, to, to the ship owners, uh, this makes a uh, good transition power uh, to develop new technology and new solutions. Uh, so I think uh, both the NOx uh, uh, experiences, NOx fund experiences, and the uh, zero emission requirements in, in public tenders from Norway uh, serves as good examples on how this uh, cooperation between industry, governments, uh, uh, and regulations is very important to drive the uh, transition. Thank you very much, Harald, for, for giving those insights. And um, uh, Eric, if I could turn to you, you, you're in Hong Kong. So in a way, you've taken this to the personal level and taking the sort of the maritime uh, heritage from Norway to Hong Kong. But probably you have some other thoughts on this as well, please. Yeah, I guess I should point out I'm in Seoul in Korea, but it's definitely close and definitely have taken it outside of Norwegian borders. And, and we absolutely agree that we see the role of Norway uh, being important, and we, we very positively where they sit right now. 
Uh, and of course, it's something that we as, as, as a company is involved in through efforts by majority owners of both Williamson and Valenius. Um, and seeing them trying to also take a lead in innovation efforts in terms of hydrogen, wind, LNG and battery hybrids, and just to name a few of the domestic efforts that sits there right now. Um, still, though, we, we still believe and see this, that we believe all segments of shipping, local or global, must look to each other uh, to, to drive the development here. So I think wherever the good ideas come, as long as they can be brought up and, and collaborated on, I think that's what's important. Uh, and here, Norway can definitely play a role in Norwegian companies, domestic and also globally operating. Um, and just finally, also company commenting on, on the financing side, um, the competitive financing in this area is very important. And I think the discussion at least that we see is going on and the willingness that we see in terms of the financial and investor community in Norway to take on the leading role in this, I think is very important because it fits the, the, the global role that, that the shipping industry always uh, already plays. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. And, um, you know, was several of you have touched already, um, you know, um, this uh, question fuel of the future. So I would like to sort of ask you that now. And, um, and there are, as many of you have pointed out, several different zero carbon fuel options heralded as fuels of the future. Uh, but most of them, they still have uh, technical challenges uh, or lacking the infrastructure or are not available at any sort of significant scale. Uh, and um, if I could come to you, Eric, again in Seoul, uh, you know, where do you place your bets from 2030 onwards? Uh, and how do you plan to navigate that uh, transition phase, please? Yes, thank you, Knut. I think, first of all, it's been a lot of good comments made already uh, by, the, by the panel. I think the first and foremost important factor is for the industry to continue with a you know, industry-wide R&D collaboration, I think, for quite many years to come, and maybe not yet lock in on any specific direction as of now. Uh, deciding factors, obviously, for us in our discussions and, and, and looking into this is the future of fuel choices in terms of safety, uh, total emissions focus on a well-to-wake basis, as I mentioned before, you know, fuel access and infrastructure, important cost obviously is also there. Uh, so these are some of the larger items to be considered. Um, but it do, we, we do see for now that ammonia is probably and most likely the choice uh, as, as it looks right now. But again, we do want to keep our mind open and, and still have a wider focus. Um, if we look at ammonia and if that is produced uh, using EG electrolysis and renewable energy, then the carbon emission is then eliminated. Um, and even when the ammonia is produced using carbon emitting natural gas, uh, the CO2 emission is cut significantly compared to fuel oil and, and LNG. Uh, and also what we see right now in terms of, in terms of uh, studying this, we believe that ammonia is also the more safe choice uh, and also more accessible option than, for example, versus hydrogen. But again, we need to stay open-minded so for us, we believe continued innovation is a key factor, and we also think that wind power can also play a significant role. Um, if you look at our industry specifically and, and, and the car industry specifically that we serve, the inefficiencies in our customers' supply chains are significant, and it's a root cause for higher emissions, actually. And if we can digitalize uh, the supply chain and also collaborating on using the data, we can actually allow for the use of, for example, wind power 
without any negative effect on total lead time from factory to end consumer. So I think we can also look at shifting then the time used on the various transportation modes actually in most supply chains today to operate in a much more climate smart way uh, in, in, in the supply chains. Uh, so I think this is also a very important part of this because it's the mindset change that we're also after. It's not just finding the technical solution uh, and we have to bring customers and consumers into that. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. Truly interesting. Um, ammonia, keep an open mind. And then there are also some other uh, possibilities, as you alluded to. Marta, please, um, your views. Yes, just uh, quickly then. Um, DMB in, in general, we're, we're fuel agnostic, uh, so to speak. So it's um, it's more for us. It's more a fact of of um, keeping up to date on the latest developments and understanding the actual the benefits and challenges of the various fuels that, that our clients have to make decisions about in the future. Um, and in terms of there's not only the challenges tied to technology and infrastructure and which fuel, but we also find them to be we think there are challenges to the business structures, to the contract structures, and that we need to have uh, probably challenge these and look at these in a little bit of a different way. So to uh, have a risk that is more evenly distributed on across the value chain. So that's something that uh, that we think about. And in in general, we, we also see that probably in the future, banks will take on more of an advisory role uh, also to, to make sure that we have these kind of structures um, uh, also for our own sake. And uh, strategically for us historically um, is to to go with good management teams and good companies and that's that seems to have served us uh, quite well um, and we're a long-term partner with our with our clients and um, we will be there to to support in this transition for them and that could mean that some wrong bets are made that could mean that we also make some wrong bets um, and I think that's an inherent risk that we're aware of in this uh, situation. That's part of the game when, when you want to be a leader in this and you want to push in the right direction. Um, and that applies to anyone who wants to be in ship lending um, consistently over the next uh, couple of decades. And um, we just have to be pragmatic about that. Thank you very much, uh, Marty. Um, uh, Harald, fuel agnostic or a favorite? Please. Fuel, ag fuel agnostic, definitely. As an association, we will not place our bet on uh, one specific technology, fuel or energy carrier. This will always be our members' choice in their specific markets and dependent on their operations. But I think it will be uh, low payback if I guess that we will enter a more diversified energy sources for different operations. And I think it's very important also what uh, Eric uh, mentioned that it is important to have uh, have the perspective of the life cycle emissions and have the perspective of well to wake uh, emissions. Great, great stuff. Can I jump in on that, uh, Knut? Yeah, you can. But first, I want to uh, hear it from Anders because he's been nodding and shaking okay. his head terribly. But I'll come back to you, uh, Lasse. Please go well, ahead, uh, Anders. I'm just going to reveal a secret to you. Uh, LPG is a fuel, it's ready right now. It's uh, technology. Uh, technology is there, and the infrastructure is there. So, uh, so, and again, it has many, many benefits. So again, I'm happy to call both uh, both Lasse and Eric and tell you about it later. But that's that's something that uh, we think really works. And uh, and of course, it's a nice step towards ammonia because we can convert these engines against the ammonia ammonia when when that is ready. 
Thank you, Anders. You're not fuel agnostic, I take it. Nope. <laughs> Lasse, please go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I just wanted to kind of sort the discussion a little bit because we talk about uh, hydrogen versus ammonia, which is, of course, not the right way to think of it because all the new fuels that we're looking at will be based on hydrogen as a starting point. The starting point is to use renewable uh, energy to make hydrogen, or of course you can take it out of, of LNG, and, and, but, but that seems not to be uh, cost effective. So, so the starting point is hydrogen. Then the question is- Lasse, just, let, let me just interrupt you. You have to be quick now. So yeah, please, I'll, I'll please to come quick, to the quick. conclusion. Uh, I will, but the point is, the point is that we—it's we, not the discussion of if we have a hydrogen. It's on which way are we carrying the hydrogen on board? Are we adding CO2 in terms of methanol? Are we adding nitrogen to become ammonia, or as hydrogen itself? So, so, uh, and these are different modes. But the question of whether it's hydrogen, I think that's uh, that's more or less concluded. Thank you very much. And, and I'm sorry that I had to sort of push you a bit on, on the time there because uh, as you probably can understand, 45 minutes is not really a, a lot of time for uh, sharing the views from a great uh, panel like yours. And I, I'm pretty sure, Nicholas, that we could have kept going for at least another 30 minutes if you had uh, set that si uh, uh, time aside. But, um, you know, I thought we, we touched on some very interesting topics and I, I certainly enjoyed a lot of the insights and the expertise that all of you brought to the discussion and I would like to thank you very much for spending the time sharing the expertise putting your emphasis on many of the different topics that we touched during the discussion not least collaboration R&D keeping an open mind and keep on exploring opportunities so with that I would just like to thank all of you very much and I hand it over to you Nicholas and I believe we are relatively good on the timing we are perfect for timing uh great panel we are going to rock and roll now for the rest of the day uh thank you very much for a, a very vibrant and insightful beginning of the second day as you said uh, we could go on for a long time very spirited discussion very insightful thank you very much to all of you um, and have a wonderful uh, rest of the day thank you